And if we get on the exact same level playing field, it makes us more successful at being able to accomplish the, the goal, which is to make successful real estate investors and successful agents selling investment real estate. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Smart Agents Podcast. My name is Michael Walter and I'll be your host. In today's episode, we are joined by longtime veteran of the finance industry, Aaron Chapman. In a space with over 300,000 loan originators, Aaron is ranked in the top 1% nationwide, closing more than 100 transactions a month. Throughout our conversation, Aaron shares how he has built his business and takes us on a deep dive to dispel inflation and interest rate myths to better educate borrowers. Now, before we get on to the day's featured interview, make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents Podcast. You can find the show on all major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and now Amazon Music. Also, if you or someone else on your team has an awesome story or tip to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. All right, let's get on to the day's featured interview with Aaron Chapman. Throughout our conversation, Aaron does share some table and charts, so if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can find a link to the video in the episode description. But yeah, really, the way I like to start everything out is if you could just introduce yourself to us a little bit, uh, kind of who you are and, uh, and how you got into the, uh, the finance industry. Perfect lead-in. Perfect lead-in. So my name is Aaron Chapman. I'm in the conventional finance space. You know, when you're when you're thinking about real estate investment finance, most people are thinking your hard money guys or your commercial lending guys or what they call the non-qualified mortgage or non-QM type mortgage guys. In fact, I was just at an event in Tampa this last weekend where they had booths all over the place and there's hundreds of people there. And there is there was probably a dozen or so of those type of lenders there. I was the only conventional lender walking through that place. And I know when you look at me, you're thinking conventional lender. I, I'm I'm sure, right? Most people are. But what I, how I got in there is, you know, in fact, just kind of go back a little bit even more. I was at an event in 2017, I think, and the guy, one of the guys speaking, uh, talked about how he used to be a license, a loan originator, a, a, just a loan officer at a bank. And he said, you know, I got that job because I couldn't get a job doing anything else. And I thought that was funny. And because that was my scenario. I started off and I, I spent my high school years on a cattle ranch. Family had a cattle ranch where I ran 500 head of cattle. From there, I went to Wyoming to work in the oil fields. And then from there, I went into running heavy equipment, driving truck. truck. And then I got into the mines of northern New Mexico. So my family sold the cattle ranch because of a partnership dispute. My dad went back to mining, which is what he'd done since he got out of, uh, out of Vietnam. And it was to me the greatest job I'd ever had. We're several hundred feet underground. You're drilling, you're loading with explosives, step around the corner, blow it up, take a loader, dig it out, do it again. Right. It was to me one of the greatest jobs that could have ever been. Who doesn't want to be underground playing with explosives? Right. Well, they started shutting down the project, and which since I was one of the newer guys on with that company, they laid me off. It wasn't a matter of how good you were at the job. It was all a matter of time with the with the company, which I thought kind of sucked because I thought I kicked ass at it. And quite frankly, I did. It was, you know, I felt like I was in my elephant. Well, when I left there, we took that 10 hour drive home. I had a wife and infant son back here in Arizona. I started hunting for jobs. I couldn't find anything. I kept getting hit with this BS overqualified, overqualified, overqualified for every job I applied for. Finally, I went to the extent that I was willing to take a $10 an hour truck driving job to haul landscape rock. Drove this location, interviewed uh, with the, the general manager. And again, I got the overqualified speech again. Walking out of that place, wiping tears from my eyes, 23 years old, wife and a, and a six-month-old son, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I got in my truck 
And my wife had given me a coupon for free diapers that morning as I left because we couldn't even afford the diapers. And as I'm driving to the grocery store, the gaslight comes on on my pickup. And I had not driven very far on that gaslight. I had to figure, okay, how, you know, I just need to find something right away. Found a grocery store with a, with a um, gas station around the corner, pulled up to a pump, ran my debit card. I got a decline. So at that point, I rifled through my truck, hoping for a lost dollar. Couldn't find that. Found a few coins. Walked that parking lot for it. Felt like a couple hours. You know, look around, make sure nobody's watching. Pick up that coin, stick it in my pocket quickly, and move on. So I got enough that I could exchange my time for a couple gallons of gas. I went into the grocery store. Immediately went to the diaper aisle. I got the diapers that matched the coupon, and did that embarrassing stand at the at the grocery store checkout line with my one item. Right. Handed my one item and gave him a coupon for free to get the item for free. I was, you know, it's just to me, it was just kind of embarrassing. I was that broke. So I'm walking out of there trying to just get out of there as fast as I could. Somebody recognized me. He cornered me real quick, asked me how I was doing. I shared the same story I just shared with you. And he said, hey, let's go to dinner. I'm like, dude, I can't afford to go to dinner. He goes, I've got a gift certificate to Red Lobster from a client. Let me let me take you out. Like a client, tell me about the, the the client thing. He goes, well, we'll talk about it over dinner. So a couple of days later, my wife and I went to dinner with him. And that's where he shared with me the mortgage industry. He introduced me to the branch manager of a broker shop. I cut a foot off of my hair. I shaved. My mom bought me some business-like clothes, polos and stuff, so I could at least look somewhat business-like when I went in there and interviewed. And they started me as a telemarketer December of 1997. And let me just tell you, it's been a very miserable road. Uh, but now, 25, 24 years later, here I sit with you uh, doing it the way I want to do it with my brand. And, and there's 300 plus thousand people in the United States licensed to do the job that I do. And I'm ranked number 20 in the United States for transactions closed because I closed 1,378 transactions last year for real estate investors. Wow. So, I mean, that's incredible just to be able to, you know, to grow from where you were and, and to, you know, to recognize that you needed to there was something you needed to do and needed to change. It was not an easy thing. Right. And and I think had I not been, had every door closed in my face, I wouldn't have taken this, this route. There's no reason to take this route. It's starting off as telemarketers, miserable. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that sucks. And this sucks so bad that I convinced the branch manager and the owner of the company to allow me to start working some of the leads that I created. And from there I started to build it up and it took me, you know, a year of driving truck uh, to Sacramento and back and then Vegas and that back and then work three days a, a week in the office. And then I, I quit that that truck driving job because it just sucked. And I got another job back running heavy equipment where I get up at 3 a.m. I work till noon, go to the office from two, work till 10 every single day, sleep four, four hours a night for a year. And the interest rates then drop below 7% for owner occupied. And I was able to start building up a pipeline to be able to quit the other job and work this exclusively. Now, was it Easy from there? No. I mean, we had the the two thousand the dot com crash happen. We had um, the uh, the two thousand eight crash. I had you know, a partnership in two thousand fifteen that went completely sideways. Where the guy disappeared and took everything. I had to start over at zero, November first, two thousand fifteen again. But every time you're better, you're stronger. You learned more from that that hit. And now I'm praying that we can just stay consistent. We're always working on our business to be better at it. And, uh, and benefit other people. And I, I pray that we don't ever see that complete loss of everything again, but we're always going to have the down times and we have to come back up from that. I don't see any reason why we can't just continue to keep rising. Right. And before we get into, you know, um, really kind of, you know, the meat and potatoes of our, our conversation, really the, the 
uh, you know, the inflation and how the interest rates are working and just the changes of the markets. I do want to ask you about, you know, because our, our listeners are primarily real estate agents and brokers themselves. So how are, how are you creating those partnerships and those referral pipelines with, with agents out there? Well, the majority of the people I work with uh, come from uh, what, what, where that developed really was I was doing a lot of business in the state of Arizona with real estate agents. And then you had that crash, right? Well, in the 2008 crash, not only did we have the crash of the market, but I got in a motorcycle accident that you know took my legs from me, not literally, but I mean, put me in a wheelchair. I had to learn how to walk again, took my memory from me where I, it only lasts three minutes. I had good long-term, but my short-term was a mess. Well, there was what happened then after I got back from that is a big influx of people coming into Arizona buying investment real estate because of the, the crash in 2009, 10, 11. Well, they started moving around the country, buying up investment real estate, and they wanted me to come with them because I did everything I can when that phone rang to do the best I could for that client. No matter what happened, they were going to get the best out of me, period. I was their business partner in their investment deal. And that's where I started developing the relationships because when the people started going to different parts of the country, they would tell me who they were working with as far as on the real estate side. And they insisted, no matter what lender they said, they, they, the realtor or the builder or the seller of the home had a relationship with, my buyer would say, uh-uh, I ain't doing it unless I'm working with my guy out of Arizona. So it was a lot to overcome. So I'd have to get on the phone with them and talk to them about what their expectations were and say, this is how I do it. And this is how I'm going to make sure this gets done and, and make sure that they're protected, the buyer's protected, the seller's protected. I worked for everybody and I worked my ass off and it was constantly being available and then slowly building a team. Now I have a team of 32 people on my staff that it's an assembly line. I don't have departments in the company. I don't have to go to the underwriting department. I don't have to go to the closing department. I don't have to go to the, the, the disclosure department. They're all on my team from the very beginning to the funding. So that way we have control over the flow. And because of that, it helps me to build relationships. And as long as everybody communicates, and that to me is the biggest thing. If you communicate and talk and are open and don't assume anything, it all works. What's amazing to me is when people fail to communicate, it's interesting how they want to go and then flip it over and try and find fault somewhere else to try and shade the fault that they had in their failure of communication. If everybody understands that you have a certain amount of responsibility ensuring communication, then it all just works out. And everybody communicates well, everybody gets along well and does treats it like a relationship and a friendship, not a business relationship. That's where everything got better. I hang out with most of the people I do business with. I'll fly across the country. When I go to Memphis, I'm there for a week hanging out with all my buddies out there. We go hunting together. We go fishing together. I don't have any business relationships. I have a shit tons of friends across the country. Right. And I think that's a great mindset to have, regardless of what, um, what part of the, you know, the whole, the, uh, the whole machine you're in, whether you're that agent or the, you know, on the financing side or the builder creating those real actual personal relationships. I mean, you're saying that, you know, the closing, the amount of transactions you do in a year, it's gotta be very difficult to have those personal relationships, but it pays off huge in the long run. It's, it, it can be. Um, and that's where it makes it possible to have the personal relationships is having a staff that makes sure everything's done in, in the way it is, which has its own nuances, right? Have you ever been to Chipotle to get a burrito? Yeah. Right. Have you noticed that you don't ask one person? You don't tell one person. You don't have one person walk up to your table and take an order. You talk to different people at different stages. You have to have that tortilla and rice specialist, right? You got to have the salsa specialist. You got to have the the the, uh, the meat specialist. Then you got that really stingy person with the guac, right? And then you get then you got that person who does the checkout. You interact with four or five people, even though there's eleven to fifteen people working at a Chipotle. 
When I realized that in 2015, 2014, it's when I said, I've got to build that same process. And people have to be right with the fact they're going to communicate with probably three or four people instead of just one. And what I found is some people get frustrated with that. Some of your real estate agents are like, I just want one point of contact. I'm like, well, if you apply that to the, to the Chipotle method, that one point of contact is going to give you a rolled up tortilla and you're out. You're not going to get be successful in burrito construction. How can you expect us to be very successful in building an intricate financial instrument like a, like a real estate investment loan? You need to be open to that communication. So we have tried to find a way to, to, to drill it down to a single point of contact on a weekly basis, updating our big referral partners. But if it's one person at a time, we, we don't have the resources to do that, right? A person has to just be open with how to how that communication works and be nimble with it. And once they've figured out how we do that, we have people that literally just gravitate to us and, and, and push a lot of, and they don't push, they influence to the best of their ability people to work with us. And once they experience my system one time, we, we make raving fans out of it. That's awesome. I mean, that's great. And I think it's, you know, it, it just, it speaks to the, being able to overcome some of the challenges over the you know, the years, you know, with the different, the different, you know, market crashes and then your own personal, you know, with the, uh, the partnership falling apart, just being able to come back from that. And I think it's always really, I was talking to somebody not too long ago and uh, he was, he said that, you know, there's no such thing as a, as a failure. There are seminars. As long as you learn something from, you know, those points in your life, I think you're always going to be successful on the other side. Well, it's additional education. And we also have to know what we're missing. So one of the, the best things I ever incorporated in my process is at the end of every deal, probably about two weeks to a month after it closed, and I haven't been able to catch up on because there's so many of them, is you call the client after the fact and ask them, hey, well, one, I want to tell them, I, I call them up out of the blue and say, hey, can, do we have a few minutes to talk? And so, yeah, yeah. And they think there's something wrong if I'm calling, right? And uh and they see me on YouTube and everything. It's like, why would Aaron Chapman be calling me? I was like, well, I'm really no big deal. I'm just just a dude. But when I give him a call, I just first off said, listen, I'm just calling to bug you and say, I wanted to thank you for the trust, allowing my team and I to be uh, uh, participate in your business and building up your real estate investments. But I got one question. I said, what is that? I said, is there anything you think that we can incorporate into our process that would make us more efficient at what we do? So rather than asking the person, hey, what'd you think? Or, hey, can you give me some feedback? Immediately, the human mind goes to, there's got to be some negative, I can tell them, right? They always want to look at how they can critique you. But if you ask them, what can we incorporate to make us more efficient? They're not in there to critique you and your process anymore. They're now, hey, what a value add can I give Aaron? You know, and for the first little while, I got a lot of feedback and I would just send it out to my team. Hey, this is what I got. This is what I got. And we started adjusting it. Then I call them back, say, hey, thank you for that. This is what we did to adjust that. I appreciate the feedback. And they feel like now they're part of my business, right? Because they just gave me feedback and I incorporate into the process. Now that made them a, a person in. So now they have a vested interest in continuing to send us business, right? Um, now, when I call, it's just to shoot the shit because I, I ask them for that. What can we do to make us more efficient? Like, uh, I can't think of anything. I said, well, if you can... Will you, would you reach out to me? They say, sure. It's like, you guys just did awesome. And they just start going off about how awesome we are, which is great. I love hearing that. So, but let, I said, and I appreciate you telling me this, but let me, let me get, you promised me one thing. They said, what's that? If you ever believe in future transactions, you can't say that, you call me immediately and tell me why. Again, you just then told that person, we're going to have future transactions. And I need you to be on the lookout for any, anything that we need to do better. And you, again, embrace them as part of your business. Then be willing to listen to it. What I find very, very interesting is how people don't take criticism very well. You give them a little bit of criticism. They want to come back with, well, you did this. 
Well, we're not we're not on. This is not the uh, Republican and Democrat debate. You don't need to sit there and keep flipping it around on somebody. I'm not having a conversation with my little brother. Right. We need to be willing to accept where we need to get get better and then willing to tell somebody else where they need to get better. And everybody work together to ensure we get better. What I also found is that if you get better, the market will in, will insist that you get bigger. Right. And you grow your business. But if you try to get bigger without getting better, you will crush yourself. Right. Absolutely. So kind of switching gears a little bit, um, you know, again, we are, our audience is mainly um, uh, real estate agents themselves and brokers. And, and obviously, you know, we are towards the tail end of July now and, you know, market fluctuations are, uh, you know, a big topic. Uh, Inflation is obviously a big topic. Uh, Just, you know, what are some of the misconceptions about specifically inflation that uh, agents need to be aware of when they, you know, so that they have the information to pass on to their clients? Well, the thing that I think they run into the most is, especially when they're talking about real estate investment agents, is this, or they're focusing on trying to uh, least illustrate where the property is, is most beneficial for them. Everybody likes to run to this pro forma and the cash on cash return metric, which is an easy metric to try and sell by. But when you're talking about an increasing interest rate environment, it's harder to sell that because you're not getting this higher cash on cash return. Well, my whole goal is to help people understand cash on cash return is the smallest metric in the whole deal. It's really the least return in all of it. You need to focus on where the biggest returns are. So let, let's do a little bit of math together, right? And it's going to be very, very simple math. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and test you to see how awesome you are at math. You can just grab your calculator and we're going to do it really, really quick. And everybody who's listening, do the same. If you're driving, come back to this, check the math. The reason why I do the math with everybody, I'm saying everybody that I have on the phone because it syncs our brains up. It gets us to where we can both see the same thing. And if we get on the exact same level playing field, it makes us more successful at being able to accomplish the, the goal, which is to make successful real estate investors and successful agents selling investment real estate. So we're going to start this as if we're doing a $100,000 uh, property we're going to uh, sell. The buyer is going to put 20% down. They're going to have what they call a 1% rent to value ratio. And I know that 1% is not really awesome these days. I mean, not as achievable these days, but just bear with me on this. And we're going to say they're making, say, $150 a month in cash flow, right? And this is going to be on a 30 year fixed loan. So $150 a month cash flow is not awesome on a $100,000 purchase, right? Nobody gets excited about that. But we're going to get into the numbers anyway. So if they bought it for 100,000 and put 20% down, how much did they invest in this particular transaction? Uh, 20 grand. 20 grand, right? That means they financed what dollar amount? They financed uh, 80 grand. 80,000. All right. So I tell every investor, they're the CEO of their real estate investment business, right? They, they have two jobs and that's it. Pick the right people to work with that's going to make them successful on the real estate side and on the finance side, and then pick the right business to buy. What I mean by business, which is the property that you're going to purchase. And the way you know you bought the right business is it stays reasonably rented for the entire time you own it and you can raise rents. Sound fair? Mm-hmm. So if you did that, you're able to accomplish that successfully as the CEO of your real estate investment business, who pays off that 80000 Well, you should be your tenants. Your tenant. Okay. So it's going to be the tenant. So if you take 80000 and divide that by 30, because that's how long it's going to take your tenant to pay it off. What number do you get? Get it down to the penny. Uh, let's see here. 80,000 divided by 30. Oop, I think I messed that up. 80,000 divided by. So I've got 
2,666 and 67 cents. Yep. $2,666.67. That means averaging over 30 years, they're going to pay down that 80,000 averaging $2,666.67 per year, right? Now hit your divide button, divide that into the 20,000 because that was your initial investment. 0.13. So it's 13.33% is ultimately what you're getting, right? So that means your 20,000 is growing by 13.33%. Now let's take that $2,666.67 again, because I guarantee there's somebody listening right now is like, oh, there's closing costs. So he's not he's not calculating this right. Okay, then let's say it's $2,666.67 and they put 20% down, 20,000, plus they say $6,000 in closing costs and prepaids and all that. I'm even adding in the prepaids, guys, which I shouldn't have to, but we're going to add this in because there's going to be somebody out there that's going to count it. Take that $2,666.67, hit the divide button and put $26,000. Tell me what you get. I've got 10.25%. 10.25. What that means is that worst case scenario, counting everything, your initial investment of $26,000 grows by 10.25% Every single year, somebody else pays off that note. That is guaranteed. If you can do your job right, getting somebody in there and maintain somebody in that house, it doesn't matter if you make a single dollar in cash flow. If there's some vacancies or some rehab, some some maintenance you have to do on it, and you never pull a single dollar of cash flow in on the deal, but you never put another dollar back out of your pocket, all comes from tenants. You got a ten point two percent increase on your initial investment every single year, no matter what happens. That's your baseline. Where else is a person reasonably able to predict that type of return? Right. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Nowhere. Right. This right. is this is a phenomenal return. So we set that aside. That's the baseline. That's where we start. So I want everybody to feel a lot more confident when they're sharing. Uh, they're taking an investor out to look at a real estate, whether it be a single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex. When you run that equation, you can see where they're already making a significant return just by everybody doing their job right? The person getting, helping to find the right real estate, the people doing the right management, be, ensuring that you get a good property that doesn't have a bunch of deferred maintenance. All those things will ensure that person gets at least that kind of return. Okay. So that's where we're starting. Now we live in an inflationary environment, do we not? Right. Correct. You know what the current rate of inflation is? Oh, I think the last time I was hearing it was somewhere around 8.7, somewhere 8.9, somewhere like that. Last time I heard it. Are people going to be able to see this? Yeah, um, yeah, we will okay. have it on YouTube. So yep. I'm going to do a share screen here with you. Sure. This is one of my favorite websites it's from shadowstats.com. Can you see this? Yes, it is. It's a white chart. Mm-hmm. So what we have on this chart is it shows you the, cur- the, the CPI or the Consumer Price Index. Now, right. there's two things that the Fed uses to measure inflation, the, the Consumer Price Index and the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index or otherwise known as the PCE. My opinion, most broadly mislabeled things ever in the history of finance because they have manipulated this. So what you have here shows how inflation was back in 1982, right? And then you see this divergence. Why is there a divergence? Because they started changing how they measured the CPI based upon things that they can manipulate with monetary monetary policy. Not everything we spend our money on as consumers. So you can see as it was declining because... They had it written in to all the uh, all the, the regulations and laws that if, when inflation goes up, they have to do a commensurate increase to Social Security and pensions and that kind of thing. Well, what do you got to do? Try and keep it low. 
They've kept it low under, you know, their, their target is 2%. You can see how they've kept it low for that long. Now the cat's out of the bag. They can't stop it. It's on a runaway train. It's 9.1% presently. If you look at the real rate of inflation, factoring everything we spend money on, it's almost probably 19%. If you look at the average of real inflation, look at it, it's been averaging over 10% or approximately 10% since what the early, the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. Yeah. Very interesting thing. So, why do I bring this up? No, there's a reason why I get into that. We get to raise rents because of inflation, correct? Mm-hmm. So, let's just say in this situation, you're getting a thousand dollar a month rent, right? Thousand bucks on this property, and you're only getting $150 a month in cash flow, correct? Right. So let's take that thousand dollars, and you know, because of inflation, the average interest, the average rents are going up by approximately twelve percent per year in the United States. Places like Miami, over thirty percent; Arizona, over twenty; Austin, Texas, well over twenty. We're just going to say in this example, pay attention to this, agents. We're only going to raise it three. The only reason we're raising it three because nobody gets excited about three percent. Three percent is nothing, right? Your tenant's not going to freak out and run away at three percent. Your and your investor is definitely not going to get excited about three percent. But this is beneficial for the equation. So what's three percent of a thousand? Because that's your base rent. Thirty. Thirty bucks. Is anybody going to find thirty bucks sexy? No. No. But your cash flow is one fifty year one, correct? Right. Year two, you're going to see approximately one hundred eighty dollars in cash flow. So take that thirty dollars. And divide that and then hit your divide button into 150 because that was your original cash flow year one. Now it's going to go up to buy 30 bucks. What is that? What do you get? Uh, 20%. That is a 20% increase in your cash flow, guys. And every time you raise rents by 3%, that's a compound 20% increase every single year. Now I realize that there's going to be adjustments in taxes and there's going to be adjustments in, in uh, insurance and that kind of stuff. And of course, there's going to be maintenance on the property. But look at that compound growth. Does it start to get sexy? Does 3% become sexy all of a sudden? So what I tell everybody, don't worry about the cash flow on year one. What does year five look like if you're getting a compound growth of 3% every year? That right there is significant and people need to look at it that way. So that's one of the reasons I I really get into really low numbers to make people feel a little bit more confident in that. Any questions about any of that that I've got into so far? Well, I think, you know, it's just, I, I think being able to explain to people that and, and to really help wrap their brains around things is so helpful, uh, you know, for people that don't quite understand it. And that's what I want people to be able to wrap their brain around it from a whole different angle. Now, here's where it really starts to get sexy. And I'm going to go back to another share screen here is, does the lender get to raise the rent on the, raise the, uh, the payment on the loan to pace inflation? I believe so. No, they don't. So let's take a look at what that does. So I'm going to share another screen here with you. So what we have, we have that $100,000 purchase price. We got 80%, $80,000 loan. I am running this at 7% interest rate, which is much higher than what we're at today. Just know that I'm doing it to be conservative. So we're showing a $532.24 per month payment. For 30 years, you're going to pay off the $80,000 principal. The interest on that's going to be $111,607. Most people are going to freak about that. I borrowed 80 grand, but I'm paying 111,000 in interest. What are they going to do? Take their cash flow and pay it off faster, right? Or put more money down or, or maybe buy down the interest rate or, or maybe uh, they want to do a 15-year loan. Quit thinking that way. Let me tell you why. So inflation is eroding the dollar's value every single month, correct? Right. Right. So 
I'm just using 8% inflation in this example. That means a dollar is losing 0.666% of its value every single month because it's losing 8% of its value over the year. The lender can't increase the payment because they're losing money. They have to accept the same dollar amount. So you're going to pay $191,607 on that over 30 years, or your tenant is, right? right? But every time the money moves through your hands to the lender, right, you're increasing your income because you're raising rents, then you're paying the lender the same amount every single month. Your costs are set. You're giving them less and less and less. And when you recalculate, Every dollar that leaves your hands compared to the day you borrowed the 80000 to buy this asset, you will find that that $191,000 in actual dollar value is $72,535.80. Did it just become a little bit sexy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so people talk about hedge against inflation all the time. Financing somebody for 30 years is a hedge against inflation, but not a single soul has ever put a dollar amount to it. Nobody's put numbers to it. I'm the first guy ever to put numbers. How did I do that? I was talking about this on a podcast and the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University reached out to me and says, you need to come speak to my students. Well, then I get invited to speak to the accounting student, which is, you got to understand how crazy that is. I cheated my ass off to get that science C in high school and I left for the oil fields. I did not do any homework by myself. You know, if it wasn't for the fact I could pick a lock, I would not have graduated. But then I got to stand in front of the, the accounting students. Well, that as a project, he created this tool for me. So now I get to calculate this and I get to share that with my, with my, with my, uh, my, my clients. I get to share it with the realtors that I do business with, uh, all the other people that are partners of mine. I mean, there's, there's, we got to form a partnership. It's not just anybody we do business with. It's a partnership. Right. So does this seem like a valuable tool? Absolutely. So here's what we're going to do with this valuable tool is I'm going to give you another, another share screen here. I cannot give out this tool to anybody. I'm going to, uh, in fact, we'll get to that in a second. Here, we need to get back to the interest rates for a second here because the interest rates are higher than what they were in the past. So they say our inflation is the highest it's been in 40 years, right? Right. You know what the interest rate was 40 years ago? Uh, I do not. Well, I'm going to show you. Can you see this chart it says Fred at the top? Yes. All right. So what this shows you is the average 30-year fixed mortgage for the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. This takes us back to when inflation was at its highest. What interest rate is that? Uh, let's see, about uh, 19, 18. About 19%, 18 to 19%. That's what the interest rates were when the, when the inflation was the same level. Right. So that tells me if we're in the sixes and we should be in the 19s, we're, we're, and this is for owner occupied, this isn't investors, right? Right. We are literally 13% off of where we should be. So when people call me saying interest rates are so high, are you kidding me? The interest rates are, are no, nowhere near where they should be. Yeah, based upon where we are with inflation. How about the federal fund rate? Everybody's freaking out about the fact the Fed's going to raise rates tomorrow. You know, today is July 26. They're going to raise it tomorrow. And everybody's like, oh, how much? What's it going to do with our interest rates? Guys, it's not going to do that much. They're intending to raise it about three quarters of a percent, maybe 1%. The current federal fund rate is 1.75%. They're going to raise it to maybe 2.75, maybe more than likely two and a half. Well, what was the federal fund rate back when we were doing this? It was 20%. Yeah. This is showing you the average. They actually hit 20% four times between 1980 and 1981. They raised it to 4%. They are dropping it 4%, then bring it back up another 4%. They were all over the place. Mm-hmm. So the Fed uses the Fed used the federal fund rate to quell inflation. 
But right now, I don't know that we need them to use that to quell inflation because costs of things are going so high and people are slowing down their own purchasing. So I want people to get wrap their head around where we sit today and that they don't need to be so concerned about that. They need to look at the deal, right? Now, who benefits from people making the interest rate the most important thing in the deal? Beats me. You tell me. Because you've got agents. And you've got and you've got buyers that will call on and say, what's your rate? What's your rate? In fact, you have agents that take it upon themselves. I'm telling you, agents, quit doing this to start surveying lenders. You need to send me your interest rates. Why? You're not even involved in the deal on that side on the interest on that. Why would you even want to waste your time on that? Because if you're quoting rate, you're putting yourself in a bad position as far as license is concerned. You're not licensed to quote rate. So if you're getting a rate from somebody and you're giving advice to your to your client, maybe you go here because here's your interest rate. You're stepping, I don't know if you're stepping over the line, but you're approaching it. Don't put yourself at that risk. Interest rate is not what you should be focused on. Let me show you why. And let me show you who benefits when you're focused on interest rate. Have you ever looked at the amortization table on a loan, a 30-year fixed loan? The only reason I ask that, because you're like everybody else. Everybody does, you know, they, they don't look at these things, not because I'm telling you you have to, but those who do look, they'll realize that the majority of the, it, it's almost all interest the first five years. So I'm going to show you the first four years. This is an actual deal. And I don't I have the person's name off of it. We just put in a, a fake name here. He had a $120,000 loan. He was paying on a 6% interest rate on this. Over 30, over a uh, period of 48 months, he had paid down the balance on this loan to the tune of $113,537.49. But when you start getting into the depth of of what he was he was uh, paying here, that seven hundred nineteen dollars and forty six cents over forty eight months he paid out thirty four thousand five hundred thirty four dollars. So thirty four thousand five hundred left his pocket, but the balance only dropped by sixty four hundred. Is that kind of alarming to you? Oh yeah. Well, what happened after this was he got the word that rates dropped. So what does he do? He calls the lender. Say, hey, the interest rates just went down. I should refinance. Like, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You can get, is there, and I always tell everybody, the busiest time I have is when the rates drop and I'm talking people adding during refinance for rate. If you can refinance and pull cash out to reinvest, yes. But if it's just for rate, you're wasting money. Let me explain why. So he, we couldn't talk him out of it. He was going to do this deal regardless. So here's the math I have on here. I'm going to run through that real quick so you don't have to spend the time. So $120,000 loan, he paid it down. We got the payoff. To do the new loan form, the payoff was $114,642.19. Then he had closing costs and prepaid items, right? Most people add those to the loan, which is what he did. He got his new loan of $119,833. Literally within less than $200 where he started four years before, and he closed on this deal. $119,833. Think about that. You start it, you pay $34,000. And then you refinance and you start within a hundred, really it's $167 and where he started from. And then they get caught up in doing this every four to five years. Look at it up, look it up. People are doing that every four to five years. They become in financial servitude. So think about this guy. Every four to five years, he's refinancing it back to where he started. The guy down the street who bought the same house, same floor plan, same, same street, same interest rate, same price, same everything, continue to pay the original one for, for 20 years. He has two-thirds paid off while this guy's still already started. That's why it's the most important thing in the deal because the banking industry wants you to think that way. They'll keep you in financial servitude. Another thing people are talking about right now is arms. Well, if your cash on cash returns not so awesome, maybe you should get an arm. 
you get a lower interest rate, and then you can refinance when the rates go down. What makes you think they're going down? Right. <laughs> that's what I want to ask people. Where do you even think that that's even possible? I'm going to show you one, one more thing here. That that that, um, and I know I'm I'm probably going long, but th- this is this is rather amazing data that people need to wrap their head around. So when we look at the average interest rates over the last thirty, well, actually since 1971, you can start to see here that from 1971 till 2009, because 2009 when they started doing the quantitative easing, mm-hmm. the average rate was 9.1 percent, and that was for people buying houses to live in. You go in from 1971 till now, the average interest rate is 7.76, so almost 8%. You throw in the pan, the, the 2019 quanti- the 2009 quantitative easing, the average rate since 2009 till now is 4.02% for people buying houses to live in. The average since the pandemic, March of 2020, is 3.33, right? Even when you take those low numbers in there, we have the average interest rate of 77 We're nowhere near what the average is. We're still below the average for real estate investors. So I'm trying to explain to everybody, guys, don't get suckered into this thing that you have to buy and you know, get, a, get an arm because we're still lower than we averaged out. There's no chance of them going. I, I think a very, very low chance of them going lower than where they are now or achieving those lower rates because it took trillions of dollars to get there of Federal Reserve money. And it's printed money, right, that pushed inflation. I don't see them doing that again and risking this inflation thing again. The other thing is, is what they don't hear in the background. If your mortgage guy is pushing this, what's going on in the background with the mortgage companies pushing this is their leaders are saying, guys, sell the arm, sell the arm, sell the arm, because now that's your refinance client in the next three to four years, right? They're building up their business for the future. You're putting them in financial servitude. So be careful of the people that are pushing this, especially people that push rate because those who are pushing rate don't understand the real value of real estate. So here's my gift. Here's what I want to be able to uh, make sure that people have. The tool that I showed you, I can't issue to everybody, right. but what I can give you is an app. So here is the, uh, you got the QR code pop up there? Right, yep. Oh, if you got your phone, get it out, put this up there, get the QR code. You're gonna have to fill out some information. Right, you're gonna have to fill out your name, your email address, your mm-hmm. phone number. Don't give me the, the fake information because we're gonna get you better data down the road. Now, what you're going to get here is you're gonna get this tool. It's gonna call the QJO investment tool. Why is it called that? It's called the quit jerking off investment tool. Is what it is. In my opinion, those people are running around chasing rate, just jerking off and wasting time. Those people are, are measuring everything based on cash on cash. Again, jerking off, wasting time. They don't understand the real value when they're doing that. They're going to be out of the way while the well-informed investor can take this calculator and go out there and actually make something happen and build their build their portfolio. Now's the time to build it while everybody else isn't paying attention. So when you download this, let me know when it downloads for you, Michael, and we will uh, we will uh, walk through this real quick. So I want is everybody to be able to know how to use the calculator. Now there's four calculators on here. One to do the asset reserves right, for all the properties you have to make sure you have plenty of reserves for all the properties you want to buy. There's the subject property reserve. So when you're buying a specific property, you need to know how, how much you have to have in reserve for, for that property as far as additional payments on hand above what you're putting in the form of down payment and closing costs. Then there's the schedule E cash flow calculator. Now, that this is important because when you're going, when you're looking at tax returns that your CPA creates for you, look at your schedule E. They're going to, you're going to be in a negative position on that. So you're not paying taxes on your property because you have depreciation, but you don't want to get too cavalier with your write-offs because if you go negative completely and now your your debt-to-income ratio is affected negatively, there's a point there where you can have negative for the tax purposes, 
but still positive for your cash flow. So I've created that calculator so people know what lenders go off of. But we're going to go into the mortgage amortization schedule calculator for everybody. So click on that one, open that up. And then what we're going to do is you're going to put in there, these are different numbers what we're working off of. We're working off $150,000 purchase price. You can put 20% down, $150,000 purchase price, and 7% rate. You can use whatever rate you want to put, right? But there's additional payment here. Don't do that now. That's for later. You can play around with it. Now you're going to calculate this. It will show you the principal, the interest, and it's going to show you your full payment. If you scroll down, you'll see the total payments to date and the loan balance. This is where it starts to get really, really good here. Upper right-hand corner, you're going to see it looks like a calendar icon. I want you to click on that. And it's going to show you this year. You can scroll ahead every year for 30 years and see the effect of inflation on your payment. We're going to go all the way 30 years to 2052. We're going to click save and close. Now it shows you your total payments to date of $259,500.83. But the inflation adjusted based upon 8% inflation, you're not paying $259, you're only paying $98,000. So it shows you that you're well ahead of it. Don't get caught up in trying to pay this off faster or pay it off early. Now you can go in there and you can see by putting additional payments in there, enough to pay it off in 15 years, you'll see that your inflation adjusted payment is actually higher. So it tells you, don't pay it off any faster than you have to. Another cool feature here, we put the payment of $719.46, then the inflation adjusted payment. The reason I put that in there, that means in the future, 30 years from now, it'll take $719 to buy $65 worth of goods today. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, what do you, when did you grow up? When did you uh, go to, do you remember the 90s? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my mom would give me a dollar. It's like 1989, I think it was. I'd ride down, ride down to the ride my skateboard to the corner store, buy a gallon of milk and a candy bar, and bring her home change. <laughs> yeah, can we do that today? No, no, not at you all. You didn't even get the damn candy bar for that, right? I was like, telling so. my son about. Yeah, I was telling my son we were filling up my truck to go on a trip, and I was like, man, I have a hard time like processing more than putting twenty dollars in my truck because I just got mm-hmm. so accustomed to twenty dollars filled it up from E. Yep. 100%, man. I remember being able to drive around in high school, put two bucks in, and we can drive for two days. Yeah. All right, so I'm putting that QR code back up for those who thought, eh, I'm not going to get his app because this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Hopefully, what I just showed you gives you a reason to get that QR code and put that on, on your, your phone because this is an important thing to have and be able to pass on to your clients and help them calculate. We want them to be secure in what they're doing and have very be very confident in what they're doing. Then there's also my information. I'll put that in there. So if anybody wants to connect with us, you know, this of course was not, it has the little lawyer speak at the bottom that we can't like guarantee for any loan. I got to protect ourselves. But, it, you know, so that's pretty much the basics of what I try and go into with every single client when I first start talking to them to help them get their mindset right, put them in the CEO chair and understand where the real value in real estate is. And when people are just selling cash on cash, they just don't understand where the real depth of it is. And let other people think that way because they're going to walk away from deals that you won't. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I really like seeing that it, it drawn out in that the fact that, you know, uh, having the long term view on things and not trying to rush to pay things off is really more beneficial. Well, that, that is a product of our current, our current culture of uh, instant gratification. You know, and instant gratification, what happens is when you don't get it, you walk away from that. And unfortunately, we sell so much on you're going to get 10% or 12% or 15% cash on cash. And people oversell the front end of it. And people get kind of 
they get disenchanted with the process after about their first, second or third deal and they walk away. You just lost that client forever. But if you get them to understand the long game or where the real value is, you got a person coming back 10, 12, 15, 20 times. You build an engine with your folks, right? It benefits you to, to talk about that long game. Don't be that short-sighted seller of things. The short-sighted seller of things, they'll get a quick flash in the pan, but then they'll die out and they have to find something else to do. I'm in this for the long haul. You know, people ask me when I'm going to retire, I'm 47. When I go to the grave, I'm coming in hot. I love what I do because of the lives that it changed. I don't love the finance industry. I hate the fact that I, I hate the industry in, in a way because it's full of predators. My job is to stop the predators from play, preying upon my people. Right. Well, and that, that brings up, that segues into another great thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, on your, on your website, you have these fantastic short, you know, like six minute long informational videos that are on YouTube, you know, what was it that really made you want to start doing that? Uh, when the pandemic hit in 2020, I was on my way back from Missouri. In fact, when you go to my website, I'm sitting there on that, that cab at the, the, the uh, porch of that cabin. There's a big story behind that. I got a book out about actually. And so I was on my way back and the market was just freaking out. Interest rates were spiking everywhere. I couldn't figure out why. And finally, we, we gathered the data as to what was going on. And when the Fed dumped in a trillion dollars between March 20th and March 30th of 2020, I needed my, my database to understand what's happening because the phone was just ringing. I was nonstop. We couldn't even lock loans. But every so often, I'd do 50, 50 loan locks trying to just catch up. It was, it was maddening. So what I had to do is start sending out this video to my database twice a week, updating them on what was happening. I was doing it even more often than that at first till everybody caught on that I'm doing these videos for them. And it stopped the phone calls. So I found, hmm, this is actually working. I'll keep doing this. So every Tuesday and every Friday, I put out a video to my database and it hits YouTube and it gets blasted out. And so they can go to my website and go to the media uh, section and download the videos. They'll get an alert if they've subscribed. And what my job is with that is to look at what the market has done over the last few days, what we're anticipating over the next couple of days, how that should influence interest rates, and then be able to at least tell investors, this is what I think is going to happen. This is what you need to be aware of. And this is how you need to think of this when it comes to your investment business. So they'd be kind of ahead of it. And it's worked out very, very well for me. So I'm going to continue to keep doing that, you know, those twi twice a week. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's, a, you know, it's, it's invaluable information for anybody that is, uh, that's even interested in, you know, the, uh, the real estate investing world and, 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 uh, and, and that side of things. I think it's just those, those videos, even, you know, the handful that I was watching, it's so much information packed into a short, uh, short consumable video. And that's, that's the tough part is there's so much information to put in there. You get to where you're overwhelming people and just punch them in the face with stuff. My like, guys, that's why it's on video. You can slow it down and pause. But when I'm doing live presentations, I'm never giving enough time. I'm like, I was, the one I just left, I said, I was asking people in the crowd, hey, there any, any feedback? What could we have done better? He's like, you needed twice as much time because they were just overwhelmed with information. I'm just pounding them with all the data. Yeah. Well, th thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I think it's got to be, um, you know, hearing your story about how you even got into this industry. Uh, it's got to be very gratifying for you to be able to look back and, you know, see, you know, where you were standing in that checkout line to see where you're at now. Well, and, and I appreciate you saying that because it is, it's, it's interesting to look back on that and think, man, what if I found coins faster and got out of there earlier? What if it took me longer to find enough change and I didn't even see that guy because I was out there longer than I anticipated? There's so many things that you, you run questions in your mind as you were to be today. And I, rather than just keep questioning it, what I have to do is I have to look at this and say, what are some, I needed that experience for a reason. 
there's a lot of great experience I've had in my life. And I love to share stories with people. In fact, I mainly don't even answer questions anymore. I share stories. That way, people can make decisions on practical data, not speculation and theory. But for me, the reason I go into such depth of all this is because I want those people that we're working with to stop having to walk around looking for pennies, right? That's all they're doing when they're, they're hunting rates. They're searching for pennies. pennies. I want them to look for where the real value of things is, kind of like what that guy Keith did. He led me to where real value is. It wasn't easy, though. It was hard. We were talking about buying investments for the long term. There's going to be tough times. It's not going to be easy, but the long run is going to be well, well worth it. My my long run has been 25 years. And it's not, I've had my ass kicked over and over and over again, this industry. And it doesn't mean another ass whooping ain't around the corner, but I'm better prepared to take it. And when somebody's getting ready to go into investing and they have the right people working with them, they got myself, my entire team, got my organization, we got the people we work with out there. We got hopefully good, solid agents that do it right and not out for their commission. If we have that, there's no reason why they can't be successful. They just need to stop looking around for pennies and look for that person that's going to lead them to where the value is and then be ready to strap in for the long haul. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you allowing me on and let me talk to your audience. I want to thank Aaron for joining us today. It's easy to see how he's built such a successful business, and I really appreciate him for breaking everything down in such easy terms. So once again, if you think you or someone else on your team has an incredible story or a tip to share with our community, send us a message at feedback at smartagents.com. Well, that wraps things up for this episode, but remember, follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe to the Smart Agents YouTube channel. Again, I'm Michael Walter, and we'll see you on the next episode.